Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. I want to thank my sponsors, Topps, Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins & Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So here's uh, an episode for your listening enjoyment. There's one question that's been in the back of my mind that I've never gotten around to asking you. And your background is in numbers and analytics. Would you have wanted to go into analytics of a sports team if it wasn't a card market, if that existed at the time? Would I have been Bill James? Yeah. Would you have an interest in actually working for a team and applying the statistics that way? When I started, Bill James was starting at almost exactly the same time. And he's almost exactly the same age. He, on the other hand, did not have the higher education, but he had so much practical smarts that he changed the whole game of baseball, I think, by looking at things other people weren't looking at. Yeah, I was a big fan of his, got all of his early abstracts. I was an early member of Sabre, but I came to a fork in the road, Danny. I couldn't do both. I was either going to be a card guy or I was going to be a baseball analytics guy. And as much as you think that baseball analytics translate into card prices, they do eventually. But I really had to set that aside, even though it would have been a passion for me when I was a professor, did some stuff with that, but the authoring and publishing just got too big. And I had a tiger by the tail and I had to drop it. Now, looking back, the way it turned out, I have zero regrets. But if you go back into the 70s and if the pirates would have offered me a job to be their assistant general manager for Sabre stuff, Sabre metrics, again, those jobs didn't exist. But if they had, I would have been really intrigued. And I would have employed the technique that I try to do. And that is that I say, no, I can't do that. But here's what I can do. That would have been a really interesting job to do if I was already a professor. It's something I couldn't have done as a side gig if I had the company and the magazine and the books and all that stuff. But when I was a professor, before I'd started doing annual price guides, and somebody had made me an offer, that would have been very persuasive because I think that'd be really cool. I'm analytical and I'm creative. I'm not daunted by challenges like that. So do I say that Bill James lived out my dream? No, I lived out my dream. He lived out his dream and I admire what he's done. And I think I could have done some of that, but hats off to him. I did what I did. No regrets. Okay. You want a crazy one? Sure. Okay, there's a big announcement after the Super Bowl, and it's from Tom Brady, TB12. And I'm being semi-facetious. Eric Jeter has a grading service now. TB12 is starting a grading service, and this will be in February of 2023. The TB12 means 10 is gem mint, 11 is pristine, and 12 is perfection. Okay, so... The real question behind this ridiculous scenario is how much star power do athletes have coming into our industry to influence more directly after their playing careers, like Derek Jeter doing something that garners attention, but it doesn't mean, oh, I've got to switch to that grading service or that ecosystem because Derek Jeter's here. Even Tom Brady, if he started a grading service, People would say, hey, I need to check this out because it's Tom Brady. Two-part okay. answer. First of all, I think Giselle gets to decide if he starts the grading company or if that counts as retirement. She may be taking half of what he's got right well, now. Maybe up. he'll have to. Maybe hey, he'll have I to. I know. I keep commenting on the corporate involvement in the hobby 
and the double-edged sword. I think there is nothing better for the hobby, the business, the card world, the memorabilia world than to have bright, likable people who are intelligent, funded behind good projects to expand the market for everybody. Let me just make that blanket statement. That being said, with that becomes a whole different ballgame financially. You are bringing in companies with wealth management investors. You're bringing in very large corporations behind the scenes of some of these names that we see out front. And the pressure that puts on the celebrities to be pushed upon the collectors, I think tends to be a little artificial. And I don't know that the collectors realize that's being put upon them. But that might just be our world in general. That might just be social media algorithms and we're doing it anyway. But I don't like the pressure from the athletes, but I think there's nothing better than to get it expanded. And maybe that's a contradiction, but I would love to have Tom Brady collecting cards as long as they weren't $300 a box for kids. And it was something that really helped the hobby. Okay. Following on with this question. So you're a bulk submitter. And you have a primary loyalty as a bulk submitter to one of the companies. Let's say it's PSA. But the TB12 grading company says, Danny, we really want your business. And you say, I've been with PSA for a long time. And if I didn't do PSA, I've got friends at BGS and SGC. And so, well, are you going to be in your office tomorrow? And you say, yeah, Tom would like to come by and visit with you about winning your business. So at 10 o'clock the next morning, Tom Brady knocks on your door and says, Danny, they tell me this is an account we really need to have. What's it going to take? Can I sign some footballs for you? What are you going to do? What would most people in the hobby do if Tom Brady said, if you're my friend, you're going to grade with my company? You slipped in a second question. Most people in the hobby would (laughs) take that deal absolutely 100%. Maybe I'm a little jaded after working for two teams. Yeah, Tom Brady can keep his autograph footballs, and I will keep my PSA 10s long-term. I don't know that I want to jump on the TB12 pricing bandwagon, but your point is, well, take, are there going to be ecosystems of companies? And are those ecosystems going to be formed by a figurehead? So far, the figureheads in our business have been the likes of you or even Nat Turner right now. And, And with all due respect, Derek Jeter and Tom Brady bring a little bit more sex appeal. So I think it's not going to be uncommon that the marketing is just going to ramp up with the budgets of these companies and you're able to bring these type of people in. So if SGC or BGS or PSA said, hey, Tom, or any other celebrity, we'd like to give you 1% of our company for a dollar. And we just want you to show up every once in a while and say good things about us and bring attention to us. I think those deals could happen. I think 100%. I like uh, you and I I don't necessarily want Michael Jordan perfume. I think he was a great basketball player and he probably has good taste in shoes that don't break apart when he turns the corner. But uh, as far as cologne or or if he had a sport coat or something, I wouldn't want his uh, leisure wear necessarily. I think there's a difference between having trust in a product and being influenced by a, a celebrity. Yeah. I have no problem. If Tom Brady wants to stand behind a product, I'm probably going to watch the commercial to see what it's about. That's different than me giving him the business because of it. So I think you're exactly correct. But I think without a doubt, we're heading in the direction of athlete versus athlete. And I think every major grading company is going to have their own marketing team, just like shoe companies. Which is a good thing. But if it's done the wrong way, if you're in fourth place 
it's like a Hail Mary because you're behind and all that stuff. And just one last story here is I'm cheating on this question here. But that happened to me with Roger Stop. He came to my office, said, we want your business with this real estate company. What's it going to take? I'd already was leaning toward a different company and he wasn't happy about it. He wasn't mean about it, but it just was awkward. But he had a very serious, excellent company that kind of came in second and he wanted to bump it up to first, but we used a different group to do that. So it is persuasive. And it was substantive. It wasn't gratuitous, but I thought I've got to make a decision based on the facts and not the emotion because there was a fair amount of money involved. Okay. Last time you made an emotional purchase and what would be the most emotional piece of memorabilia for you personally? Last emotional purchase. You just walked by something and said, I got to have that. No rhyme or reason. That's mine. The last emotional purchase was at the National. And it wasn't a card. It was a whole bunch of cards. Dollar and boxes don't count. I bought all the dollar <laughs> boxes. But I'm just saying I made an emotional commitment to buy them before I figured out how I was going to get them home. So that was the emotional part of it. The logic was these are worth a lot more than what I'm paying. And I'm going to have a lot of fun going through them. But in the final analysis, I don't make too many emotional purchases. I've told about my trade I'd like to get back where I traded a Mickey Mantle 52 tops card for a Betamax. That wasn't an emotional decision. That was actually a good deal at the time, which was whatever, 79 or 80. A poor condition mantle for a brand new out of the box Betamax, top of the line. You, you, a year later, was, wasn't a good deal. I was about to say that's getting harder and harder to sell on people is a good deal. It, it was at the time. I could not get a Betamax and I thought I could always get another mantle. It, which I actually did, but that wasn't emotional, but people would think that would be emotional. I don't think I've done very many emotional deals. So I don't have a lot of regrets. Now, any memorabilia all time that's personal to you, if it existed or not, what would you want? I had a Clemente jersey that I sold in a weak moment. And there probably was some emotional aspect of that. I had gotten it a long time ago. And if I'd held on to it, it would have been something that I really would have continued to enjoy, or it would have gone up by quite a bit from what I got it and what I sold it for. So I have some regrets there, but I, I think the emotions come in the sadness. I was the underbidder for some really big cards back in the 70s when I was very active, kicking myself. Why didn't I? And I did other stuff with the money. I've got a great collection and I've had a great life. Like I tell my young friends, don't expect to go through life undefeated. You're a winner, but you're going to lose some. You're going to win a lot more than you lose. And I sure have won a lot more than I've lost. I had a chance to get Clemente's rookie contract for 5000 bucks, And I know exactly who had it and said, I've got this for you. And what I said, I don't collect contracts. <laughs> That's how <laughs> am I. He's my favorite guy. Can you, you know, imagine? And the guy that offered it to me is deceased now. So I'm not going to say who it was, but it was very kind to offer it to me. It's actually a remarkable piece of... This was 50 years ago almost. But to say it still was a great deal at the time, I just was a card guy. That's the romantic part about me. I love the history around that contract. The story about that contract, I wonder if the price he was being paid in the contract was more or less than what it was offered to you at? I, he may have been passing it through. I mean, there's not a whole lot of padding in there. I'm saying what Clemente got paid in the contract. Oh, it might have been 5000 Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's what I'm saying. Let's see. If somebody comes to you to help sell their collection, 
how differently are you if it's the person as opposed to the widow of the person? Wow. How do you handle that? Dealing with a widow is different than dealing with the collector who says, I want your help in selling this because I know you're well-connected. You're going to dispassionately look at this stuff. You're going to put it in the right spot. So how is that different? Have you had those experiences? Again, it's joyful when it's a home run and you do well for the person or the widow, but how's that worked out? Very good question. Yes, I've run into this situation multiple times and each one's a little bit unique or a little bit tricky. The biggest thing is I just try to share my love of what I do and let them know whether or not they choose to work with me. And this would be the widow situation that I'm at least going to be an honest steward of the collection. That's the biggest thing. It's just to let people know you're going to do your best. I can't promise more than that. I can't predict the market, but I can promise to respect your widow's collection and, and be a good steward. Now, if somebody's selling their collection personally, a lot of times, what is your goal? Is it instant liquidity? Is it maximizing return, even if it takes a while to sell? And then you're having different types of conversations. A lot of times people want to upgrade their cards. They want to take a couple mediums and go to a large. And I love the pyramid up theory. So it's a whole different direction that the client wants to go in. But the biggest thing is also finding the right way to help them sell the items. You have to know who you're working with. And that gets back to the relationships in the business. I'm typically not the final buyer. So I just want to make sure that if it is the situation that I know that somebody with a little bit more TLC might be involved in the transaction versus somebody who's going to be maybe a little bit more analytical in a different bedside manner with the widow. In either case, you would parse the collection into certain kind of stuff goes this direction, certain kind. You wouldn't look for a one size fits all necessarily, would you? It depends on the collection. Some of them, as you and I know, some people have very definitive collecting goals. So I might find somebody who did collect every top set from 52 through 66. Those are probably going to one buyer. But if I have somebody who's got a little bit of this, a little bit of maybe local Baltimore Colts 58 championship game memorabilia tied in with cards and all, those are going to end up in different places. In fact, one of the shout outs I'll give to local card shops, because to me, there's nothing better than local card shops, is there is a shop in our town that runs actually a little auction a couple times a year for kind of those local programs and memorabilia items that, that you know, usually might find more on eBay for a couple bucks. But it's a great way to buy and sell some of those items. 